0: Help your four-year-old find joy in learning. Waterford Upstart is a proven effective pre-K learning program that includes fun songs, games, and activities that prepare your child for success in school. We provide all the tools you need to help your child learn to read, including a coach, a computer, and Internet access. And because it's already paid for, it's free for you. Enroll today at waterfordupstart.org. We'll
2: Hello there, welcome to another episode of This Week in History with me, your host, Dan the Viking. Now, this week we have a bit of a special episode for you guys. We have a guest speaker on the show. Now, I mentioned this last week that we had Chris Brown from Brady United or the Brady organization, depending on how you want to pronounce it, um, coming on the show. She is on this week and I will play the interview in a little bit. First things first, I do want to do a little bit of housekeeping, a little bit of keeping everybody up to date. Um, Firstly, I would like to say hello to both Tyler and Donald. Thank you, my two new Patreon members. Uh, Thank you very much for joining. Um, You guys are what keeps this going. So thank you very much. For those of you who are interested in Patreon, I say it every week, get yourselves over there, patreon.com, this week in history. Get yourselves on there, £5 a month, so it's less than a cup of coffee, and you can support me with my podcast, and you also get special access to certain shows that you won't get on this feed as well. A little bit of a warning before we go into this show. Um, Last week, I gave out the 2020 episode. Now, I want to give a heads up to a few people who messaged in regards to that. First things first... I'm always happy to have a debate with somebody in regards to my episodes. If there's anything you don't like in an episode, please feel free to message me. However, what I do not appreciate are aggressive, threatening messages. If you don't like my opinion, don't listen to my podcast. I'm really not that bothered. Um, if you don't like it, don't listen. It's pretty simple. I haven't got time for to go through messages from people who want to be aggressive and offensive um I do try my best to keep my political opinion out of this podcast. Last year and the topics that were covered in the 2020 episode it was virtually impossible to do so. I tried my best. Obviously, it didn't work. Uh, I have had loads of messages from you guys saying how much you love my honesty and you love the fact that um, I don't pack any punches. You know, if I've got something to say, I'll say it. and I don't really give a shit what you think. If You don't like it. Don't listen. I'm not like I said. That's entirely up to everybody to whether you enjoy the podcast. Now, um, the warning for this episode: um, this is a political episode. I will be expressing political opinions. I will be expressing them from my point of view. So, the point that was made mainly made was that I am a British person giving an opinion on American politics. Um, I know a lot of Americans do not like the fact that. Somebody from a different country is putting an opinion on their policies. Now, for me personally, I totally understand that. However, you've got to realize, Americans, that your policies, your president, your everything that happens in your country is under a microscope by the rest of the world and it affects the rest of the world. Who is, promo- uh, who is elected as the next prime minister of England makes very little difference to the US economy who is the next president of America, and their policies makes a huge difference to the English and the UK economy. So please bear that in mind. When I say I'm expressing an opinion, it is because I have the right to express an opinion when I believe what I believe in regards to political views. Um, I I am not uh, a right-wing, as you guys. I've had some messages saying, Uh, I am right wing and I'm a Donald Trump supporter, and blah 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 blah. Uh, In regards to any type of policies, I am a supporter of political policies. I am not a supporter of a right wing, left wing, central, green party. I am not a political, I do not have a political stand in regards to that. I look at policies and who is going to be best for the British economy. So. Please bear that in mind when you're listening to this episode. If you do feel that the way I am with some of my episodes, that I do express too much of an opinion, and this episode might not be for you, please feel free to give it a miss. Um, it's entirely up to you guys. What I don't want you doing is listening to this episode and then messaging me saying how much you hated it. I've given you a warning at the start. If you don't like po- poli- ugh, excuse me, if you don't like politics, don't listen to this episode. If you don't mind and you just want to hear it, then please, by all means, give it a listen. Uh, It was a fantastic interview. Um, Really, really well thought out. Um, She really, really knew her stuff. Um, Brady is a company that works against gun violence in America. They are not anti-gun. They are anti-gun violence. Very, very big difference in that. So... Again, if you are pro-gun or anti-gun, this is definitely the episode for you need to listen to because they really, really do have some really good points Um, and it's very hard to find a happy medium when it comes to gun control in America. Brady seemed to have the answer, if only people would listen to them. So give this episode a listen, let me know what you think. Um, There is a tiny bit of history in it. I think mainly we sort of got a little bit off topic because it was just, just quite a fun interview to do. So give it a listen. Let me know at the end what you think. Thanks, guys. Here we go.
0: Welcome to America, the land of junk sleep, where it's bedtime, but you're double booked. Here, there's always one more deadline to meet, episode to watch, or meme to share. The world may not want you to sleep, but we do. Only the sleep experts at Mattress Firm can help you find the right bed at the right price. Unjunk your sleep. In-store or online at mattressfirm.com today.
2: Um, originally, I'm from North London myself. Um, nice. Yeah, which is why I get – when I go up north, and obviously I live up north, and I'm the, the dodgy southerner, that, you know. Yeah. So we, we still have that north-south divide in uh, – in England it's not the same as yours but we we have a north-south divide in in England as well
1: yes well my daughter <laughs> is a freshman at University of Edinburgh all ah, right she, she's taking a class of course she's 19 so she my interest in her various activities is always deflected like really you're interested in in sitting in because she's here right now she leaves on Sunday you want to listen to my British politics lecture for an hour and a half well yes I do I do. Oh, wow. So she has a, a crash course because she's going to school with so many people mm. who are British on British politics. And the North South divide was one of the first things she learned within two days of being in her flat yeah. <laughs> from her flatmates. It's
2: more of an economic divide <laughs> yeah. when you think of it, rather yeah. than um well, I mean, we all know what happened in uh seventeen sixty. So but yeah. um it's more of a an economic divide the, the, the all the wealth comes through London. So yeah, any, anywhere out of London just doesn't really get any money.
1: Right. <coughs> it's fascinating. Um, yeah. It's very similar to the U S in the respect of the haves and the have nots. Mm. How it's dispersed is a little different, but
2: yeah. And obviously when you're talking in regards to obviously what you guys deal with, and like I said, gun violence isn't a huge thing in the UK. Um, but certainly the crime is reflective of certain areas. Yeah. Um, and I'm assuming that your statistics would probably match that in the sense yeah. that the poorer areas tend to have higher crime rates. Um, Correct. Yeah. Yes. And that, so, so London, I believe at one point, uh, I think it was only a, a few years ago, London actually had a worse crime rate than New York. Um,
1: I read and- that and I found it incomprehensible of course the fatalities are different because the means aren't as lethal um yeah. but, but but the crime rate itself was you're yeah. right phenomenally high with with various kinds of offenses um related to assault and battery so you can imagine if guns were part of the the mix
2: how oh, dangerous that would be yeah i mean we're quite quite lucky i think in this country in the sense that um Guns not weren't really part of our upbringing um whereas right. I think in America, from what I'm aware, I think it's the, there's actually more guns in America than people
1: there are, so, there are more guns than people. The interesting yeah. thing is about eighty to ninety percent of the guns are held by about ten or fifteen percent of the population right so wow. yes uh, there are uh basically like super holders of guns. And then there's the rest of America.
2: Hmm. I I can imagine.
1: uh, Yeah.
2: I mean, don't get me wrong. If uh, I was an American citizen, I think I'd be a super holder. I'm not going to lie. I, uh, Mm -hmm. I think I would definitely take advantage of the second, second amendment, but I do think that there are certain items that aren't necessary. Um, My personal opinion, obviously, Right. very different from for me because like i said we're not brought up on guns um but certain types of of weapons aren't necessary i don't believe um yeah. you know hunting rifles fine shotguns fine pistols to an extent but how many people really need an ar-15 well
1: you've, you've just kind of summarized actually brady's platform You know, Jim and Sarah Brady were gun owners their whole lives. They're Republicans. Mm -hmm. They served in Ronald. Well, Jim did in Ronald Reagan's White House. And they leave the Republican Party. People perceive it as kind of a, a partisan issue. And Jim and Sarah never thought it should be. And their view was, you know, ensure that individuals with a propensity to potentially be lethal in their activities, are prohibited from carrying guns, but responsible gun ownership is fine.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I mean it's uh it's something that I think it would be virtually impossible um for America to to lose that to lose guns completely. It would be yeah <clears throat> you know, um, Australia did it um this well last century. Australia did it they had um the Port Arthur massacre one of the biggest massacres in the world that's, um yeah if I, I believe for a long time it was it may even still be i'm not 100 percent um
1: America but when passed it with yeah. with uh with the harvest festival in las vegas but yeah
2: fair enough um but i mean like i said for a long time it was and and the australian government just went no nah, that's it no more yeah and All they banned them yeah, yeah. um it, i just don't I don't see that happening Australia I think is a a different type of country um I also will probably not I don't think I'll offend anyone on my podcast listening to this um by saying Australians are a lot more laid back than Americans um I think
1: think, very few Americans could disagree with
3: you there Daniel I think you're right
2: yeah uh, Australians tend to be you know um you know, they tend to be a bit more, well, all right, fair enough. You've made a good point. We'll we'll leave it there. <laughs> Whereas I think Americans would turn around and, you know, there'll be a, a, a section of Americans that would, uh, you know, go up in arms about people taking their guns away. And I think that's, that's the issue, you know. I don't think you need to get rid of everything, personally. I just think they need, like you guys, try and install is that um, sort of control on them. Gun control, not gun, I can't think of the right word, but no amnesty on it, but like get a bit of control. Yes, yes.
1: And we we focus very much on the the result of guns that are, well, certainly too many of them around in the wrong hands. And so we don't even use the term anymore in our movement gun control. This is sensible gun reform, and right. we focus a lot on just the prevention of gun violence. Who can be for gun violence, right? So let's talk about the results of what happens when we don't have appropriate policies that the courts have upheld as entirely consistent with the Second Amendment at the federal level. And I'm definitely looking forward to talking about some of my perspective about what you know what more needs to be done at the federal level to address this because congress hasn't passed comprehensive gun violence uh, prevention legislation in basically a quarter century
2: yeah i would say it's been a been a long time since any amendment has been done yeah in regards That's to right. it I, you know if i'm if i'm right in saying um president trump uh, banned a certain type of weapon after the las vegas shooting and i can't you'll probably be able to tell me what it was, but I can't remember the type of rifle it was, but he banned something
1: bump stocks.
2: Uh, that's the bump one. Stocks,
1: yeah. And um, basically transform the, you know, semi automatic weapon into basically a functioning automatic weapon. It lets you deal with the recoil that you get so that it just keeps shooting.
2: Right. So yeah, I mean and it's I, if I remember rightly there were even people in uproar about him doing that. Um
1: um there were. The NRA was opposed to banning bump
3: stocks. So
1: there yeah. you go. Yeah.
2: And I don't I don't understand that, but um no. you know, and bearing in mind, you know, Trump's taken quite a bit of flack. That's probably one thing he did do right.
3: It is.
1: It's. I, I have to say there are very few things for which I can give Donald J, J. Trump credit. I will give him credit for that. Of course, as a lawyer, I will say it's very clear the reason he did that is because he did not want the courts litigating it and potentially expanding it beyond the rule.
2: So. Right. So it was damage control rather than
1: all oh, right it wasn't let's not assign any virtue to it but nevertheless uh, yeah that's a big deal and important and so yeah i mean hard, so. we've
2: uh we've been watching him with a microscope over here and it's oh, yeah. uh it's been entertaining let's put it that way it's been very entertaining oh,
3: i'm glad
1: yes well it always helps to watch these things with a distance for me it has induced an ulcer but i li- I would like to look back after January 20th and feel that there's been some something entertaining with it <laughs> I, th-
2: I think if Americans can look back on it and at least smile and laugh a little bit, then you know we might be all right but um I know there are still a lot of people I mean um, a jaw building is is just round the corner from what happened last week um uh-huh.
1: No, it's terrifying. I worked on the Hill for seven years and I have many close friends who were there and yeah. working and hiding under tables and calling their loved ones and saying goodbye. I don't want to downplay the impact for on anyone at Brady because we have so many of our staff who are survivors and mm. all of us have helped many people who are survivors of gun violence who have either been shot or they have lost. Friends and family members and it's it, it's just horrific it's beyond
3: yeah.
1: what happened and and if guns had been in the mix we would be looking at probably one of the most historically deadly days in dc that we have seen in history
2: yeah i think it's uh it was to an extent um as peaceful as it could have been it could have been a, a million times worse than what it was
3: that's right um
2: I mean we didn't get a huge amount of coverage over here um and the coverage we did get um I mean I'm I'm one of these I pretty much refuse to watch the news on yeah. the basis that it you only will always only get one side of of the argument yeah. um and especially you know being history minded and obviously um that way inclined I tend to like to look at both aspects yeah. of of any type of violence um one of the first things i used to do in a history lesson just for a, an example would um the first thing i would ask my students especially when you're talking for england uh gcse students so you're talking uh 15 16 17 year olds yeah. um i would t- i'd put a question on the board the first question would be uh hitler's views people's views of Hitler, the German public, the general German people, what would their view of Adolf Hitler have been prior to 1939? So prior to the Second World War, um, not prior, before the Second World War, my apologies, but before the Second World War, what were people's opinions of Adolf Hitler? The natural German people, um, I'm not talking the minorities. Obviously, we all know how he was to certain races and and religions. Um, But to your average German, uh, the answers I'll always get off GCSE students is he was evil, um, he was a nasty man, he was violent, and um, you know, there are a lot of things that happened in that, uh, in Germany, where he rebuilt the army, he put people back to work, he built probably the most comprehensive um, motorway system in the world, and you know, there's a lot of things that he did for the German people before he went down that road. And right. I think it's very important for people to to get that side of history when you're looking at things, especially looking back on President Trump, because uh, I'll be honest with you, it's I was so tempted to do a, um, a podcast on him. Um, I've got to wait till he's out of office um, because I think he will go down in history in, especially on the fact that he's the only president ever to be impeached twice, which that alone should tell you everything. But, you know, a lot of people, I think, have missed both sides of the argument. If you are a massive Donald Trump fan, then I think you've missed the arguments against him. And I think if you are completely against him, you've missed the good things that he's done because you're, people are blindsided by that Um yeah. And that's why I tend to stay away from media and things like that, because you're never a hundred percent, you're never going to get both sides of the argument.
1: No, uh, it's really interesting what you're saying. It's very tough, right? I think the role, a lot of history will be written about this certainly. And, mm. and we'll see as we look back It, you know, it's who is the Chinese uh, 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 the scholar or, you know, great, Person who said, May we live in interesting times. This, I can't, it, it feels strange to be in moments of time over the last four years, not just in the United States, but globally, and see these seismic shifts happening kind of all at once. I think you can only understand what's happening, though, in retrospect. And the important part of history is understanding. Understanding it, not because you can perfectly predict what the right thing to do is in any thing that you experience in the present day, but it's certainly instructive, right? Yes. And and that's, I think, really important what you're saying, because there are always, even for, for me, I will say, because I, I often have a perspective around things that's informed by pretty, like, advocacy oriented, I think we should do X, Y, or Z, but I also freely admit there are two sides almost always to any particular perspective. What I'd really yeah. love to see is more people who can uh, hold simultaneous truths together and and not reject the other, right? Hold yes. them and understand these are perspectives and take that and try and forge an appropriate path forward. That would be, I, to me... I totally agree. I'd love to see that.
2: Yeah, I totally agree. That's uh, You know, <clears throat> I'm one of these in... We, uh, we have, obviously, certain political parties in this country, um, which I'm yeah. assuming if your your daughter's doing uh, done some politics in the UK, um, she'll know a little bit about them. Yeah. Um, you're talking conservative, labour, liberal democrats. Yeah. Um, even go as far as green party, UKIP. Yeah. Where we now have one called the Brexit Party. Um, yeah. yeah. So all of these run for president. Uh, president, bloody hell, get getting American now. All yeah. of these run for prime minister. <laughs> um, and you know that's that's how we we do our system. Uh, we actually, if you're interested, we also have a party called the monster raving loony party and they are fantastic yeah Yeah.
1: is that really the name of it
2: yeah monster raving loonies (laughs) they were yeah they were actually um created by a man called screaming lord such yeah they do uh they do exist genuinely
3: i'm going to follow them i love this
2: yeah they're fantastic they all dress up um they uh, one of them is uh, I'll just find you. There's a guy called Lord Buckethead. So, uh he's yeah. he genuinely he runs for MP every year or every four years, um, and he dresses up in a black cape and has a bucket on his head. Wow! And people, and people vote for him. He gets lots of votes.
3: Yeah, um, I'm not surprised. I mean, I'm what surprised.
2: they they're just a piss take party, but um, you know, we have. That you know there's quite a lot going on in in the u k when it comes to our policies whereas um <clears throat> from what i'm aware, America really only have two um you don't they, Which, although you have independent they, they don't have.
1: yeah you're right it, it it the independence you can count on your fingers the number that we've ever had serve in um, the Senate or the House of course the Tea Party was a thing but it was it, what we really have are factions within the two major parties that mm. probably a political scientist could look at it with and, and probably JJ and others who are much more close to these things in academia could say but um, effectively within those two party systems you have factions that that function very similarly to the UK in terms yeah. of this multi-party system and that's that's just really intriguing because it keeps splintering and changing and the rapidity now with which that happens is dizzying right um Mm. just in the last decade so much has changed within how these factions operate on both the republican and democratic side compared to 50 years ago where the parties were much more static so Yeah. yeah we'll see
2: there seems to be a lot more to it now. Do you know what I mean?
1: There is. It's, it's complex. Um, I mean,
2: maybe, I mean, just from an out, an outlooker's side, maybe uh, independence, the way to go forward. I, I know uh, I had one lady um, who I talked to in, in America and um, she actually does a podcast as well. Um, and I said to her, I said, Oh, who are you voting for? And she said, I'm voting independent. And I went, why? I said, just a wasted vote. And right. she said, "Well, as far as I'm concerned, Americans are picking which foot they'd rather be shot in," um, which I thought was quite a nice, a nice way of looking at it. And I said, "No, I said, what's the point in voting independent?" And she said, "Well, the the," she said, "I said, no independence ever won." And she went, "Well, look back through history," and I said, "Right." She said, "Well, when did uh, Lincoln come to president?"
3: Yeah.
2: And the Republicans were the fringe party then weren't they so he was an independent essentially
3: mm-hmm.
2: when he won so you know maybe that might well we see see what uh president biden does over his his tenure so we'll see. I mean, fingers crossed i mean my my personal opinion um which i do try i have said in my on my show that i you know try and keep my personal opinions out of politics yeah. um my I will do it. I will give my personal opinion on this because, you know, we're talking about politics and, um, I actually think he will do a good job. My, that's my personal opinion. I do. I think from what we saw, um, through his, he struggles to articulate himself in certain aspects. Um, but then we, I can't say anything when our prime minister is Boris Johnson, who, uh, 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 every time he speaks, so <laughs> you know, realistically, because by you know, I, I know it's a lot of um, a lot of Republican videos that go on Facebook and things like that, and all they centered on was the fact that Joe Biden got a little bit confused sometimes and he would mess up his sentences every now and again, and I thought that's not really a basis to make him a bad president. Um, so I, I hope from my point of view, that he does he does a good job. I think he um,
1: do an excellent job, to be honest. I, I yeah. do think that having a person who is seasoned, who yes. understands how Congress works, because let's face it, the executive branch is the executive branch. It's very mm-hmm. hard to get anything done without the legislative branch actually going along with you. Yes. And he has actual relationships with people. Um, And and that still in politics, that really does matter. So I think he's very unique that way. If you look back in the history, we haven't had anyone really, really since Nixon, who's had that kind of experience. I mean, look what happened with Nixon. But
3: Mm.
1: you have someone like LBJ is a good example, who served in Congress, understood how things work in order for him to get some of the most comprehensive legislation ever passed in our nation's history, the kinds of things he got done. He was on the phone calling people. We know because the tapes are available and that would be a great podcast for you, by the way, because they're hilarious and over the top and slightly insane, which he was, Yeah. but you can hear in those conversations, he made things happen By the force of his personality and with individual relationships, Joe Biden is not LBJ, but he has those relationships. He's a much softer, kinder, gentler person, but he wants to leave a very different America than what he's inherited. I think he will work really hard. Yeah, I do. Get us back on track because America has lost a place in the world we're all very aware of that who care. And there's a ton of work to be done to try to have our version of democracy work for us, let alone be respected again in the world.
2: I mean, that's the thing I said, you know, with, with your, your politics and um, you know, I, I didn't know a huge amount about American politics until obviously I did politics in school Um, at 16. And obviously, we tended to focus on British politics. Uh, American politics wasn't really that interesting to us. Um, Obviously, growing up, you realise actually how important American politics is to us and how every relationship with every president and prime minister, how important that is to our country. And the one thing I would say about Trump was he didn't have that relationship with Theresa May. Theresa yeah. May hated him. You could tell that. He certainly didn't have that with Boris Johnson. Um, and that relationship that that Britain and the U, uh, and the US have, um, no, really, no. we haven't had that since Margaret Thatcher.
1: No, and I, I'm sure you have opinions about the crown and how it portrays various people. Um, yes you know for those who are monarch- you're about
2: the Netflix show yes I love it yeah absolutely love it
1: I love it too I also already had a huge crush uh you know like you know an ad- admiration crush on Gillian Anderson but her Margaret Thatcher is just oh, I she's mean brilliant. she's brilliant and it really I, what I love about it whether you're a monarchist or anti-monarchist they really do try in those historical figures, you know, the the Royal family has their issues with whether or not these things that nobody fully knows about are uh, appropriately depicted. And I don't have a lot of sympathy one way or the other for that, but in terms of um, the interpersonal relationship between the queen and Thatcher and their different uh, origins of power and life history and her, her view of issues and the kinds of things that she was able to accomplish, whether you agree with her or not, it's oh,
2: very divisive.
1: It's so <laughs> divisive. And I, I don't agree with her in a number of ways, but I will say, I love the exposure. I have a 19 year old and a 17 year old who didn't understand any of this and now are super interested in that part of British history. Yeah. And that's wonderful. I think that's great.
2: Yeah. I mean, I was always, I've, I am uh, conservative. I've been brought up conservative. Mm-hmm. Um, I moved to Grimsby, which is a highly, highly labor town. It's always been labor mm-hmm. up until the last election where they flipped.
3: Oh, they flipped.
2: Yeah. They were one of the flip towns that went, uh, we went wow. conservative. Um, <laughs> the main reason for that was uh, the head of the labor party. So no one, no one believed in Jeremy Corbyn um, and a lot of places went that way. But um, I was always brought up on, you know, from my mum uh, telling me that she she absolutely loved Margaret Thatcher. Absolutely loved Margaret Thatcher. Yeah. Um, and then I move up to Grimsby <laughs> and when she died... Just to give you a sense of the idea, when Margaret Thatcher died, the number one song in the UK was uh, from The Wizard of Oz, Ding Dong, The Witch is Dead.
3: Oh, that makes me sad.
2: Yeah, that actually, that song went to number one in the oh, UK.
3: Oh, God.
2: So
1: That's amazing, right? And, and it, it, it's very sad. It, what, what is sad, regardless of whether you agree with her or not, she, she was a public servant. Mm-hmm. And, and that I think that is a, a helpful thing for her legacy. I think that is true and it comes across. But also how she was treated at the end, whether you agree or not, is so atrocious.
2: Yeah, it was bad. But she did a lot wrong. Um, I mean, she did do a lot wrong. Um, but I mean, you know, there's a lot of things there was a lot of conspiracies behind her and and certain, I mean, there has been through, through all, all politicians. I'm assuming that goes through America. I mean, you mentioned um, Lyndon Johnson. Um, I mean, we all know how he became president. Um, For those of you who don't know, who are listening, uh, he was the vice president to JFK and basically benefited the most by JFK being assassinated. And there was a lot of rumors going on around the time of that. He was, potentially involved in that. And um I covered that in my um did a podcast on um JFK and that was one of the potential suspects. So I know obviously it was debunked, but the fact that do you know what I mean, every politician has that side to them where you don't know. No. No. Yeah, Margaret Thatcher was. Uh, since moving up north, I, I sort of have a, a very different opinion of her.
1: A... Yeah, I can imagine, and and a lot of you know, and, and and there are a lot of similarities in terms of of politics here. The interesting thing for us at Brady and and how we think about our issue, just to relate it to, to guns, is that the issue of um, guns in America is one that over time has become politicized, but it actually didn't start out that way. So if you look back historically yeah, and you look at the origins of the Second Amendment, that was actually a lot of back and forth debate about what kinds of protections ultimately to include at the Constitutional Convention related to the Second Amendment. If you look at all of the other amendments, there's much more history and detailed back and forth and negotiation about the exact words and the intent. For those constitutional scholars who've looked at the Second Amendment, the interesting thing is it's almost like scant compared to any of the other amendments about what it's about. And the wording of it for an English major is quite challenging, right? Yes, <laughs> And but, but, but for those of us who've looked at it very, very closely and looked at the origins and the history, some of the jurisprudence of the Supreme Court on that subject are frustrating. Modern day Supreme Court jurisprudence is what I mean, because the reference as anyone who would understand how the colonies and the colonial world looked at guns, which at that point, let's face it, they were muskets. Yes. The Second Amendment is talking about a well regulated militia. Anyone who knows their history and understands, you know, the rebellious American colonies and, oh, yes. and yeah. the war with the British.
2: so subject, that.
1: Still a sore subject, I know. Yeah. Um, and so ultimately, for us looking at it, the appropriate kind of lens is looking back, how were muskets, how were these implements used, these tools used, and what might the founders have really been trying to think about for this American experiment? And every scholar worth their note has always commented on the concern about an overreaching federal government, yeah. on states' rights. And this was really about ensuring that the states, through their state militias, had the appropriate ability to arm themselves for any kinds of insurrections, right? And, yeah. and all of it was really about securing state authority and power. So it's very interesting when we look at it today and how groups that call themselves militias that Brady really calls extremist groups because they're not militias. They're not functioning that way. They are not state-led entities. These are loose, loosely structured individual groups because of the access to guns in this country who get access to guns, call themselves militias because they think that that is, makes them credible They dress up in military fatigues. They're not a military instrument. And then they go, and what are they doing in America today? They're protesting the government, the state government, right? So
3: it's
1: on its head entirely the notion historically of what the Second Amendment actually was designed to protect.
2: Yeah, I mean, um, if I'm right in saying that, The first line of the, the Second Amendment is uh, obviously, a well, like you said, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. In other words, the point of it is to make sure that things are safe and secure rather than to go out there and cause violence. So when my opinion, in the sense that when guns are being used to cause violence rather than to secure a, a free state, you're then, you should lose that right. Those rights should be taken away.
1: That's right, Daniel. I mean, and that is the the view of the Second Amendment that you just articulated and I just articulated. Of course, the one thing I I want to inject here that I think is very important is we can't ignore the history of slavery uh, as a foundational element to the creation of America. It is the stain on America that yes. continues to this day. And a lot of uh, individuals I respect who are scholars have looked at that and said, well, the militias here were really helping reinforce slave patrols. And, and there's a lot of evidence to support that that was the fact. So yes, it's not, that's true. Right. It's not just simply a benign thing. But regardless of of that element, which is a continuing stain we even experience today, Mm -hmm. the larger issue here is exactly what you're saying, that this is being flipped around to because of lax gun laws that exist within the United States, individuals, unlike in the UK and every other industrialized country on this earth. So we are the anomaly you can amass as an individual an arsenal. And when I say an arsenal, I'm talking about AR-15s. I'm talking about rocket launchers. These are things that you can amass in your household, call yourself a militia, and claim to stand for something that is principled. But really what this is about is overthrowing the the existing legally elected Government, And that's yeah. what we yeah. find happening. That is not at all what the Second Amendment was designed to protect. And so we have a problem. We have a problem in this country because over time, a group called the National Rifle Association, the NRA, has yes. really spent the last 35 or 40 years through a concerted marketing effort trying to recast the Second Amendment as something that means you have an individual right, not a collective right that a militia provides, but an individual right to own any weapon and to carry it anywhere, anytime, for any reason. And they set about changing the case law in this country to endorse that view when for 200 years or so prior to the Heller decision, which was uh, made by the Supreme Court uh, just over a decade ago, the the way you're constructing the second amendment was the way the courts had interpreted the second amendment. But then the NRA over the last 30 years has really tried to reshape that. And they succeeded to a great extent in doing that in this landmark Heller decision which held for the first time in American history that the Second Amendment is an individual right to have a gun in the home to protect the home. Now, the next big fight in this country will be about trying to expand and extend that right, given the current composition of the Supreme Court, which those of us who look at it believe It's very possible that this court could be uh, uh, favorably disposed to further expand those rights, which would effectively knock out many of the important protections that Brady has been able to enshrine in not just federal law, but state law all across this country. And it's a real concern.
2: Yeah. I mean, in, in regards to your obviously your gun laws in America, um, I, I, I'm assuming you guys, especially in your aspect of doing it um, and what you guys stand for, you must have seen um, a comedian called Jim Jeffries. Oh, he's uh,
1: brilliant.
3: He is brilliant.
1: Yeah. Now,
2: him. yeah, he does a, a bit on gun control, and you yeah. sort of touched on it a little bit there in the sense that the First Amendment was written, um, and it, at the time, the, the only type of firearms were muskets. Um, and, you know, people having a lot of time to think before they act with a musket, whereas nowadays when you're talking about certain rifles that people own, it's just very quick. Um, the only thing I would like to to see um, in regards to, obviously, your gun violence in America is how it would be replaced. Because in this country, we don't have a very high gun crime um there are only four types of guns that are legal in the uk um, which is a 2.2 semi-automatic Um we do allow 50 calibers but they have to have license and they're only single shots so mainly they're for hunting uh shotguns uh with a maximum capacity of three uh three in a magazine they can't take any more than that um and handguns are only legal to people who are hunting So if you're hunting and they're only to dispatch game that hasn't been killed with the first shot. Also, what's interesting, if you are in the UK, it is legal to own a cannon, providing that you the uh, the muzzle is less than two inches. So, uh, yeah, not that everybody wants to own a cannon, but I'm just saying, if you wanted to own a cannon in the UK, as long as your uh, your cannonball is less than two inches, you can own a cannon. (laughs) Um, But you know what. it's it's interesting and that we have loads of stupid laws like that but um it's uh you know we have replaced in certain areas of the country like i said at the start of the the interview obviously saying that um london has a very very high crime rate um a lot of our violence
1: it still does today daniel
2: yes
3: okay
2: yeah yeah um but what I'm saying is, is um, the murder rate in London is very high still. Um, right. And the problem with that is just because we don't have guns, they replace the guns with knives. Right. Um, our knife crime in the UK is unbelievably high. Uh, my dad's a police officer um, oh, wow. in London, um, and he has dealt oh, with wow. knife crime on a on a first basis. Um, he was actually nearly stabbed uh, last year.
3: Oh, uh, wow
2: yeah if it wasn't for his uh, partner um he, the knife would have gone straight into his side um which is where our police don't have body armor um they're sort of front and back but not at the side um but oh, luckily his his partner noticed what was going on and, oh. uh, and and managed to stop it but um obviously you know we we sort of replaced the guns with with knives um i mean obviously really yeah. we we only banned handguns in 1997 so it's it's you know it's one of them things that we we're, we're not although we banned other types of guns but handguns were only uh, made illegal in 1997 um so we're not
3: we're not that much
2: yeah there's a lot of things that people don't don't realize they just see the, because america is so big and let's be honest because america has um so many uh Branches around the world. If something happens in America, the whole world knows about it. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, funny. we just we just need to look at what happened last year with George Floyd. Um, yes, and, and and I don't want to go into too much detail on it because I know it's uh, it's not a gun violent, it's not really a gun related incident, but um, it is a a poignant incident in the fact that that happens, that's happened, and it beamed around the entire world and the whole world got to see this type of police brutality for possibly one of the first times. Now, just because we got to see it doesn't mean we didn't know it happened. So, I mean, growing up, we all know that there's sort of an institutionalized racism that's been going on. But when you actually see it firsthand, it, it, it comes across a lot more poignant, but, um things like that happen in this country but they don't get beamed across the world um and that's that's what i'm saying with america is is you guys are that much under a microscope with the rest of the world in the sense that if something happens it does affect the entire world um and you know i mean we we had all the protests um that you guys had we had them in this country and we had exact yeah. yeah um and you know, we you get all the the right wing coming out saying, "Oh, you know, it happened five thousand miles away. Why are you protesting over here?" And it's it, it's we it's hard to to look at that and sort of go, "They they made a point. The point was, I can see the point of that, but they were missing the entire point of the Black Lives Matter movement." And I've always said, and in my last show. Um, i said i completely stand behind it i was as well, soon as it it happened i was one of the first people to to it on it and in regards to it i i totally stand behind the the movement itself i think it's a, a great idea um and I, it's nice that it not a nice way that it happened but it's nice that something's happened that sparked it and people have actually realized now how important it is for us to to look at that and and to try and change that um so i think it could have happened in a nicer way i think uh, it, it was i i can't i still can't watch the video um i got
1: watch it either i yeah. I, well, I know what happened and and as someone who is the head of uh the storied advocacy organization that is brady that cares about Uh, ensuring that all forms of violence, including police violence,
0: are eliminated
1: from our country. I felt a duty to watch as much as I could. But as uh, someone who, as a white woman in this country, understands uh, and and has a growing awareness, I can't possibly uh, understand fully what it is like to be Black in America. And that will be a journey that I continue in my attempt to be a true uh, ally. But it it is incredibly painful for me, understanding the legacy of trauma, to think about George Floyd, to think about him talking of, and and referencing his mother, crying out from for his mother yeah. as a mother of a. 19 and 17 year old, it made me want to vomit. And then on top of that, Mm -hmm. the the bystanders who tried so hard to intervene and were unable to do that. This is, I think the thing that caused such a, a groundswell related to this is, I think for many people in America, what they believed was true was that Somehow, because we elected a black president in Barack Obama, all at once, we had.
2: Eliminated it.
1: Yes, eradicated racism, that it was a sign that the world had turned and uh, equality was just the, the way of the world. Obviously, with the election of Trump and and, you know, we can talk about history often. It's a pendulum. Right. Yeah. Um, I felt very much in that election from a personal standpoint that to some extent it was a refutation by certain people in his base of everything that Obama had stood for. From a larger standpoint, what it also shows is emblematic politics is not real politics. Just because you elect a specific individual does not mean in any way that you have addressed systemic issues. And the one good thing that I think, I hope, and I intend as the leader of Brady to ensure for our organization happens, that the full reckoning of systemic racism and all we can do in our advocacy work to address that is something that we commit to every single day in all that we do. Because part of the the role of Organizations like ours and setting up the Brady Law, uh, helping to establish, and the Brady Law, for for your listeners, says that before a gun can be purchased in the United States from a federally licensed firearms dealer, you have to do a background check. And if you are someone who is a convicted felon um, uh, under federal law, someone who uh, has been convicted of drug offenses... Um, and various other categories of offenses, then you are banned from purchasing that gun right and and that's yeah. that our gun laws work now the the issue is that's not a risk based approach and, and so interestingly, that means Martha Stewart, who was convicted of having insider information before she sold stock and therefore she was convicted of a felony is a prohibited purchaser. And so is the person who used a gun in the commission of an offense and held up someone at gunpoint. But where I'd like to get in our country is focusing much more on risk-based issues. and, And for many people in our country, especially black and brown individuals, the risk associated with gun violence is many times more than any white American. In fact, a black child is much more likely to die from gun violence in this country by five times than their white counterpart. That is institutionalized racism that our laws really need to revisit in this country if we're going to be the kind of country that we were founded to be, which is everyone has an equal right to life liberty and the pursuit of justice let's ignore for the fact that the moment that the people who wrote that also had slaves but the idea of the democracy is that we provide this and a big part of what brady is doing today in the wake of george floyd but even before that is making sure that racial justice is part of the dna of anything we advocate for
2: I totally agree with that 100 and you know that's you know I'm, I'm assuming that was the First Amendment that you you read out or that you you mentioned then with the the justice um, was that the First Amendment?
1: No, Am i was talking about um, the preamble. So all citizens, all Americans. Ah, right. I'm not
2: clued up completely on your oh, <laughs> on your Constitution. Well, um,
1: liberty but, and justice. I mean, it is an elemental aspect of what. Yeah. Nation and the laws were stated to, to promote. And that's what we want as an organization to, to help do. And, and a big part of what we talk about, because we have a big litigation team and a, a legal function that has been litigating in courts for 30 years, is really emphasizing yeah. that there is a Second Amendment. That Second Amendment does say what it says about a well-regulated militia. We also have basic rights that have been enshrined not only in all of the amendments, but in our Constitution. And that does include the right to live, for each person to live in a society that has effective public safety, that their lives are not put at risk at 5, 10, 15, 20 times the rate of their, frankly, white counterparts. And and in America, we have this problem, and that is a separate violation of rights that we believe uh, is the next source of major litigation if the United States doesn't fix it.
2: Yeah, no, I I totally agree with that. And and you're you're absolutely right. And and it is, um, I would say, similar in this country in the sense of, um, like I said, with the violence in London, um, the gang violence that goes on um i wouldn't say it is specifically um black or brown i think it is more um poorer areas um one of the most notorious gangs in in england um are are based in liverpool um and liverpool um most of these gangs i mean i'm going back a little bit so somebody probably listening to this is going to correct me um but we have a a journalist in this country he's an actor as well Um, called Ross Kemp Um, and he actually went and did a thing around the gangs in the USA and uh, he did some in England Um, and when he looked at the gangs in England they were predominantly white but they were poorer areas Um, I mean I've always been an advocate of uh, poverty breeds crime Um, I've always said that Grimsby the town that I'm from um, in the 70s 70s 80s was the biggest fishing in Port in the world, um, oh, okay. more fish came through Grimsby docks than any other port in the entire world. Wow! And yeah, and now we have four boats that go out of Grimsby. Oh, so oh. Grimsby has taken a dive off yeah. off a cliff edge, and crime is yeah. very very high in Grimsby. Murder not so much, but the crime rate is is astronomical, um, and that is
1: economic
3: point right
1: and it
2: never used to be you -hmm. know it was i I don't know but from the guys i work with and and know from grimsby sort of say you know the grimsby in the 80s was the place to to be you know it was it was lively it was happening and now it's it's you just need to walk down the street and you can see prostitutes and needles and things like it's just one of those towns now where it's sort of really dived off a cliff edge and it's um it's something that needs to be addressed, I think, across the whole world. But I think in America you have that the disadvantage of the fact that you have this Second Amendment, and you there is really no nothing put in place to restrict it. You know, you guys, I hear the NRA. Um, we've we've heard stories and, and you know things like the shootings in schools, and the NRA's answer is to give.
0: In-store or online at MattressFirm.com today.
4: In the heat of the moment, you're not just keeping it calm, you're keeping it cool, too. With an ice-cold cold cold brew, and not just any cold brew, but one that's slow-steeped and mixed with brown sugar and molasses flavor. With a cold foam infused with brown sugar coolness and a cinnamon sugar sprinkle on top. That's keeping it calm, cool, and cold-brewed. With Duncan's new brown sugar cream cold brew, America runs on Duncan. Price and participation may vary, limited time offer, terms
2: apply. Having been a teacher myself, yeah. I don't trust myself with a gun in front of a student. They're, they're nasty. Some of these teenagers are horrible. And, you know, it, I mean, I'm, I'm joking. I would never ever hurt a teenager. I'm just, you, but you, you get the, the concept. I
1: was a teacher and I have two students in the public school, so I can't disagree with.
2: yeah some some kids are are really horrible and and you do want to just give them a slap and say shut up but you can't do that but there are certain teachers out there who would do that and have done that in the past and obviously been fired but there's a difference between a teacher doing that and having a gun under the desk and it's just
1: and that that's that's really interesting the point that you're making here Daniel because because the thing that I would say is in America, we have a dichotomy of experience. And just to give your listeners a perspective on on the scope and scale of gun violence in America, yeah, we lose forty thousand Americans a year to gun violence. Wow. And we have a hundred thousand more than a hundred thousand a year who are shot, who live with those injuries in various states of disability as a result of them, mental, physical what have you, for the rest of their lives. And that is among the issues that America faces. This is a public health crisis.
2: What was was that number again? Sorry, the total amount of, that's just gun violence.
1: That's just gun violence, right? So 100 people in the US are shot a day and nearly, and, and are killed a day, a day. Wow! And nearly 200 people, I have to look at the latest numbers, are shot on top of that 100 and are injured and live with those injuries for the rest of their lives. So just think about that. Wow. And, and the, the thing that folks don't fully internalize in America that's just interesting for your listeners to think about is if you were to take a pie chart and uh, stratify the kinds of violence that are impacting these individuals who are being shot and survived and being shot and killed, you would look at it and say, two thirds of that is suicide, suicide by gun. Roughly
3: 18%,
1: it it varies, is homicide. Uh, Small portion, but entirely preventable is unintentional injury. Another portion of that is domestic violence. Police violence in this country is very small, but again, entirely preventable. When I say police violence, I mean someone shot with a gun by a police officer. The use of a gun in self-defense in the U.S. successfully is a fraction of 1%. It's almost infinitesimal. And the thing that I want to drive home in that is, if you look at those numbers, the homicide rate is being experienced predominantly In communities of color in this country and we could have a whole discussion about why that is but a big part of that is lax enforcement of the laws by against gun dealers they are profiting selling illegal guns that flood these communities because the u.s decided in the 1990s that the way to approach crime in cities was to uh incarcerate the quote-unquote, trigger pullers, and it was based on a very poor notion of the idea that some people are just born bad, and if we incarcerate them, we'll solve the issue. It doesn't address in any way that approach the supply side of the problem, and it doesn't address the fact that for many of these cities, if you're a young person growing up in these cities and walking down the street and are afraid for your life, Is it an entirely irrational idea that you would buy a gun, especially one that may be obtainable on the street corner? No, it's not. And unfortunately, what we have set up in the United States is a system that incarcerates and puts away black Americans at a rate that's dizzying compared to whites as a way to solve this problem instead of attacking the source of the problem. Which are the gun dealers who are selling these? So a big part of what Brady does is focus on that, and then the other piece of what we're doing is focusing on suicide. Now that's a different constituency that's largely yes. impacted. What we're talking about there, predominantly, and I will say this is shifting, and COVID, the pandemic, has made this worse. It's very it has sp-
2: in this country as well. It has. In it's the a subject. Yeah, it's a subject they've been avoiding um is the suicide rate they they have a tendency in this country to call it excess death in other words death over the yeah. national statistics yeah. um and the problem is is our this is why i don't listen to the bbc is things like they're coming out with statistics saying oh there's been twenty thousand excess deaths this year i would not that's not a quote by the way that's just a, a number i just picked out um what they're not telling you is you would assume that, oh God, there's 20,000 people that have died of COVID because they're talking about COVID all the time. What they're not telling you is suicide has uh, quadrupled in this country over the last year. Um, and I just want to touch a little bit just to get, especially the Americans listening. Um, you got, you said that um, obviously your statistics there, um, I just worked it out. You said roughly 18% were homicides yeah. of So 18%, um, so out of 100 murders or out of 100 people who die from gun violence, 18 of those will be homicides. Um, That's a day, that's 6,570 homicides a year in America. Just to put that into perspective, the UK last year, there were 809 homicides across the entire UK. That's not, that's not gun, that's not knife, that's just murders across the entire, the entire UK is 809 compared to 6,570 that were gun violence in America. Um, now I know America is a vastly bigger country with a higher population. Um, we still have nearly 70 million people in this country. So if you can imagine that, you know, in, in concept, you know, you're still talking a much much higher percentage in America are are committing murders than than they are in this country.
1: And Daniel, to your point, we we, uh, we have stratified that from the beginning to only focus on homicide by gun. That is not the full picture of homicide in the. Oh United, no, definitely right. So, I think you're making a really important point, and for us. What this tells us, if you look at a pie chart and you say, okay, we're losing 40,000 people a year to gun violence, we have more than 100,000 additional people per year who are shot, who are injured, what does that really mean in terms of the right solutions to address these issues? What this really says to us is two things. Number one. This has to be treated as a public health epidemic. When the United States in the 1950s, and and frankly, UK is similar to this, was experiencing record traffic fatalities because cars were suddenly affordable. You could, you know, easily drive them. They were not something that you needed, a, you know, advanced degree to figure out how to do. And they became ubiquitous. Traffic fatalities skyrocketed. And the solution that our society in America looked at at the time wasn't, well, the car is sacred. And therefore, before taking action to protect human life, we first have to balance that against the sacred nature of the car. What they said is human life is sacred. And so let us think about all of the different things that we can do to protect human life. Mm -hmm. And that's when they put speed limits in effect across the United States. That's when they redesigned cars Mm -hmm. and required airbags and various features that ensured safety. That's when they put bumper rails. That's the approach. That is a public health approach to reducing fatalities. And today, traffic fatalities are a fraction, a percentage of what they were in the 50s. All of it worked. There is no reason that we should not take an identical public health approach to the issue of gun violence. And if we do, we really need to tackle the things that are driving the huge impact of gun violence in this country. And so with 60% of people dying in this country because of suicide, We need to talk about the role of guns in individual homes. And what we need to do is facilitate conversations with our friends, with our neighbors, that this thing that you're bringing into your home, that you're bringing in with the idea that it's going to protect you, if it's a handgun, this is typically the rule, that you are keeping in your bedside table or your kitchen drawer, you know what? It's much more yeah, likely yeah. that that is going to cause family fire. That's what we call the unintentional injury or death of a loved one with an unsecured gun in the home. And it's really simple, but it's transformative. And that's what happened with traffic fatalities. It's what happened with drunk driving, right? And, and the whole ad campaign that was launched in the United yep. States about designated driver. It's what happened with smoking, and making that something that suddenly was internalized as something you shouldn't do. I lived in Europe for a while, and I was really shocked at how much the anti-smoking campaigns in the U.S. had impacted my, and frankly, my family's view of smoking. There wasn't that kind of campaign in Europe, and in fact, I lived in Switzerland, but I traveled all over, yeah. You, compared to the US, many young Europeans were smoking. And it was shocking to me when I came back to the US and none of them were. So we Oh yeah, we don't care <laughs> in, <laughs> in
2: regards to smoking. We we you no. know just part of part of the world.
1: That's right. And and so for us in the US, what what we are really trying to do at Brady, given our origin as really frankly, bipartisan, we, we don't believe that this issue should be mired, to use that word, in politics. We think that the issue of gun ownership really should be treated as something that is going to happen in the United States. But it's a question of lifting up and making sure that we uh, help people understand what being a responsible gun owner means. We have more guns than people in our country yeah and we can't possibly put the genie back in the bottle so there is a role uh, for policy and law there's a role for enforcement but if we're really going to save lives average americans who have guns in their home have to safely store the guns
2: yes and that's you know you definitely need to bring something something in in regards to that as i um I'll go back to Jim Jeffries because I think it's one of the best quotes I've ever heard um in one of his one of his sketches and it says society has to move as fast as the slowest person to move forwards um now he he did say it in a in a jokey manner um but the point is absolutely right you know there's when you 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 run about um speed limits the reason you can't do 100 miles an hour in your car is because somebody died in a car the reason you can't do class a drugs is because people have done them and they've died from them you know the reason you can't do certain things like that is because they're dangerous and but yet for some reason the in america you seem to have just sort of kicked off about this the gun control um and like you said you don't you don't want to call it gun control because as soon as you put that word on it that sparks people who are in the nra it sparks those things saying well you're trying to take our guns away from us and things like that whereas it's more of a case of just saying you know there's there are things that need to be put into place to stop the the violence and to stop what's going on in the world rather than taking away what you've got we're trying to make you realize that, you know, you don't need a hundred guns in your house. You don't need this. You don't need that. You just need certain things. Um, yeah. no, it's, it, uh, it's not, con- it is control, but I understand why you don't use the word control because obviously how much that has sparked in the past.
1: Yeah. And I think, look, it's, it's really interesting to think about how in America we we can actually shift the, the discussion from something that is about labels and about preconceived notions about intent versus where we have common ground. And the interesting thing about Americans is there's incredible common ground around this issue, both from a yes. policy standpoint and then for the communities that typically, as a result of their job, must own guns, I think about military
3: mm-hmm.
1: veterans, people who served in the military law enforcement. There is a certain training and I will say reverence for um, the tool that the gun can be in the right yeah. hands that many members of the of the veteran community, military law enforcement have. What we would really like to do with Brady is lift up their perspectives. Because if you sit down with a member of law enforcement like your dad um, here in the U.S. or with a veteran, they are horrified by the idea that an average citizen untrained with a gun has one. number one because training is so essential. You won't ever... The NRA has this myth that a good guy with a gun... Uh, is is the reason that you uh, are able to stop a bad guy with a gun? If that were true, we mm-hmm. wouldn't have, you know, any gun violence in America today. We would be the safest country in the world. That is manifestly not true. So we have a lot of myths to debunk. I think Brady's approach to this is very much grounded in the idea that lifting up the stories and the perspectives of people who've grown up with guns, who are around guns, who understand the purpose of a gun, and also understand what it means to be in a horrific situation where you've shot the wrong person. Mm
3: -hmm. They need
1: to talk about responsible gun ownership because too often in our country we turn because of marketing and this, this notion that, you know, Uh, a gun is a risk-free purchase, meaning it just will only help you, it it can't hurt you, that's wrong. It's actually the opposite. It's very likely it will hurt you or someone you love. Maybe there's an off chance it could help you. Highly unlikely if you're doing the following things, keeping it in your bedside drawer, in your kitchen drawer, fully loaded. It's more likely junior in your household is shot with that gun, it's more likely your teenager who had a bad day at school and has had a bad month remembers that gun is in the kitchen drawer or in their parents' closet and goes for it because suicide is a rash act. And so yes. a big part of what we're trying to do, and it's not easy, This is Brady is in this for the long term, is social norm change, really focusing on... You know, not trying to take away guns from people or even the notion of what guns stand for in America, but telling people, look, people you trust, veterans, law enforcement, people who use guns as tools for what they do. They believe these things. They would never keep a gun that's loaded and unsecured at their bedside table. Don't do that. And we will save huge numbers of lives from suicide an unintentional injury in the home, we can cut gun violence in this country dramatically just with that. So we're very focused on these kind of practical solutions that don't require a legislature, don't require enforcement, they require conversation between Americans. It's a lost art, but we believe in it. And I I think that that if we are going to make real change, that is the path forward. There's no way around it.
2: Yeah, I mean, like I said for I think for any any Americans listening to this who, who haven't heard of you guys and I know some have, um, I know talking to some of my listeners um and mentioned obviously having you guys coming on the show, um, you know, they said, Oh yeah, we've heard of them and um I, I believe one person I spoke to went, Oh yeah, yeah, they're anti gun and I thought and I, I said I said they're not, but listen to the show. I said before, you know, making that assumption and I think um I think that's you know you've come it's come across very articulate and and the way that you guys present the your facts and your figures and and the statistics behind it um i think if anyone any average american um actually had a listen to this and um actually listened to what you guys have got to say um i think it'd be very hard to argue with any of the points that you actually have um I know you probably have headbutts with the NRA constantly.
3: Thank you. Um,
2: Thank you. Yeah, I, I find that very hard for them to actually do that. I, I think um, well, listening no, no, to no, what
1: I do want to say one thing about the NRA, and, and I know we're over time, but it's been such a great conversation.
2: It's all right. Don't worry.
1: The NRA, the National Rifle Association, started out as a civil liberties organization in the 1870s, and they spent the first 150, 180 years of their existence really focusing on precisely that, individual owners ensuring that they had open space to be able to hunt Um, that there were ranges for them to be able to use, and they did a good job of that. In fact, I respect all of that work because we at Brady, um, for any label of we just want to take away your guns, I think it's important for listeners to know that we have a large portion of our staff that are gun owners, we're not
3: yeah.
1: gun at all. And and certainly I think the genesis story of the organization with Jim and Sarah Brady as gun owners.
2: I was um, going to say, yeah, I'll say Jim, Jim was uh, the press secretary. Wasn't he for,
1: for Ronald Reagan and a lifelong. Yeah.
2: Republican.
1: He didn't move away from that. Uh, Ronald Reagan, by the way, supported the Brady law and its enactment. He supported the assault weapons ban. And so these are things that aren't antithetical, ultimately, to the ownership of most guns in this country by individuals who don't pose a danger to others in our society. This is more about the idea that Pete Buttigieg said on the campaign trail, which I thought kind of got the Second Amendment and where we are in our country more or less just right. When he was asked about his opinion about various cases that were pending in the courts and how he might think about nominating people to the Supreme Court with guns in mind, he said, I don't think that the Second Amendment should be viewed or interpreted as a death sentence to my fellow Americans. And if I could encapsulate a perspective that really kind of sums it up uh, I couldn't say it more perfectly than that. That's how Brady feels. And that's why what we talk about is the impact of gun violence and how can we appropriately balance two things. Certainly a second amendment right, which is in the constitution associated with uh, certain uses of guns with another really fundamental right that is it permeates Basically, the entire Constitution and the Bill of Rights, and that is the right for average, normal citizens to be able to go about their day in the public square, at a movie theater, at a concert, at a theater, at school, in their place of work, and not be shot. Yeah. So, <laughs> there, there must be a balancing, as there is with every right, right? Even in the First Amendment in the U.S., that's the right to speech, the right to assembly. You can't yell fire in a crowded theater. This is the same kind of balancing that mm-hmm. is the essence of what Brady is trying to move forward. We have never been for gun confiscation. We never will be. We we have too many people in our country, who already have guns, and we have too many people who are part of Brady, including those those who founded us, who own guns. And I myself have I go skeet shooting. I have uh, enjoyed guns in the the elements of outdoor activities, and that is a huge part of American culture. There is yes. no yes. issue with that. It's yeah. what how do you balance that? with the life of an average American who deserves to be able to live uh, and exist free from gun violence. And as someone who spent a lot of time with my own family and my children who were younger at the time, they were in middle school, in a country like Switzerland, which has very little crime, and they have high gun ownership because you must serve um, and, and But if you have a gun and you're issued a gun, you must keep it locked, secured, ammunition separate. So their gun violence problem, other than suicide, which is high, uh, uh, is, is not comparable to the United States. But what I found living there for many years was something changed in my psychology that I did not realize until I came back to the United States, and it's the following. I enjoyed going to public spaces again. And I didn't know before I moved there that I didn't enjoy being out in public the same way, but I can tell you gun violence impacts, for those of us who've experienced it and those of us who haven't in the United States, it it impacts our enjoyment of the everyday, our ability to feel safe and secure and you cannot in in a civil society what role is there in a civil society but for government to provide that that is the role of, of securing a collective right to life liberty the pursuit of happiness freedom all of these things that the nra tries to enshrine itself with the flag that's what brady is doing. We are trying to secure freedom, and I I hope that we can.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, listening to that, I I know this, uh might sound a bit silly, but if anyone else was listening, I almost wanted to stand up and applaud you for that. It's just everything you've said there is absolutely spot on, and you know that's exactly how you guys need to to go forwards. And and I I really hope from, you know, I've read I've read up on you on you guys, obviously we'd never heard of you in this country. Um, I'm assuming some of my uh, listeners from around the world, I know we've got a lot of listeners in Canada and Australia. Um, I'm not sure how many of you guys will have heard of of, of Brady, but um, I must admit when I first got the email, I thought, oh God, I've got Tom Brady coming on the show. I thought, That's, I can't have him on the show. I'm not a Patriots fan, but uh, I thought this is a bit strange. And I, I looked into you guys and um, everything you've said is is absolutely um spot on and i think that the way you guys uh, come across um i don't think it's going to be long now i think i think with biden in charge um i actually think this might be your your time to actually enforce certain things i think he is a more libertarian uh, leader i think he he has a lot more backing to do things like that Um, If I'm right, um, some of the people in the House um, are also probably going to back pretty much every move he makes. Um, I know Nancy Pelosi is... uh, I have a personal opinion. I'm not a big fan of her. Um, But I do think with her and Biden side by side, I think certain aspects of what you guys talk about uh, might actually become a reality in the next few years, um, which can only be a good thing for America, you know, to actually like you said, having that fear of, I mean, I don't even think about it, but I can imagine you're not the only American that walks into a public space and sees certain people, um, and thinks, I wonder what they're doing. Why are they, why is he carrying a briefcase? Why has that guy got a rucksack? Why has he got, um, a holdall? You know, is he carrying, there's a lot of people here. Is, is there going to be a mass shooting? And I, I know it might not be constantly in your thoughts, but, um, you know, I've never had that thought in my entire life. So for you to even have that thought once, that's once too many, um, you know. I-
1: Interesting, Daniel. And I, I do have to say, um, I mean, I've loved this conversation, but but what's so poignant to me is we think a lot about Brady, about the degrees of separation that we have as, as Americans to different kinds of gun violence. Mm. And of course, I think about that a lot when I when I was living in Europe once people figured out I was American and we had a lot of folks from all over Europe, all over the world, but mainly Europe when I lived in Zurich. And the question that I was asked when people understood I was American was, you know, one of two things, like ironically always it's, uh, how's Boston? We love Boston for some reason. It was always, I want to visit Boston. So I'm not sure what's up with that. But the second one was, well, what's up with gun violence in your country? And it didn't matter where the person was from. And that's part of the awakening I had, because to understand your culture better, it really helps to be removed from it and to see it from someone else's perspective. And I realized at that point, after two years of getting asked the same question, I'd become inured to it. And in our country, I will say with the backdrop of COVID, I had a a, a conversation with a colleague who said, you know, all movie theaters right now are taking a huge hit. They're basically shuttered. And it's like that everywhere. I'm sure it's the UK, too. What the, our major change. Other
3: banks go out of their way to make redeeming credit card rewards needlessly complicated,
4: like how they require minimums or force you to use your rewards before reaching some
2: arbitrary expiration date. But Discover isn't like that. With Discover, you can redeem your rewards for cash in any amount at any time, so you'll never have to jump through hoops. Unless you're like a trapezist, then by all means, go right
3: ahead. Learn more at discover.comslash redeem rewards. Terms apply.
4: At Progressive, you can get 24 7 protection, even if you break the space time continuum.
1: We did it. We time-traveled to yesterday. Wait, Progressive covers us 24-7, but we just created an eight-day week, and it's 24-7 coverage, not 24-8. We gotta go back. Are you joking right now? Shh, I'm calling them out. Hi, I have a question about time travel.
4: Progressive offers more than a great price when you bundle home and auto. We offer round-the-clock protection, which literally means any time. Coverage from Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and third-party insurers and subject to policy terms. Bundle discount not available in all states or situations.
1: Things are doing it. the U.S. to try to deal with that is you can rent a theater, for $99. And if you have 10 people, collectively, you go in on that and can see whatever older movie, it just can't be a, a modern release. And so I had a friend who had a birthday celebration with her close friends. They had the theater to themselves. They wore their masks and you know, were seated throughout the theater. And I asked her, what was the best thing about doing that? And she said, I wasn't afraid of being shot. Wow. Just think about that. That was that's her favorite the, thing about it. How that's sad. Crazy. It's crazy. But most Americans would say, um, I get that. When I lived in Switzerland, when I thought about it afterwards, I went to the movies all the time with my family. And that's why. That's why. Yeah. Because when I'm in the US and I go to the movies, what am I doing? I hate to admit this, I'm surveilling. I'm looking at everyone around me. That's a horrible, un-American... Sorry, but I I view it as un-American because I think that our society should be a beacon for democracy. That's not an America that we can possibly believe in. We are better than that.
2: Totally. I totally agree. I mean, I, I absolutely... Um, I love America. I've been, been over to America a few times. Um, I, I absolutely love it. Um, I have I personally have never had that fear, even when I've been in America and I, I've been to New York, I've been to Florida. Um, I've been, no, that's it. That's the only two places I've been. have been to New York and Florida. Um, but I, when I went out there, I, I never had that fear. Um, but then it's not ingrained into my society to have that fear. That's You know, and I think I absolutely loved it. Um, The people loved it. Um, I I find it, I I find Americans absolutely fascinating. Um, I find there's so much, they're they're so interesting. Like I find, I've never spoken to one American that I found boring. And considering I've got thousands of people that listen to my podcast and 89% of my listeners are from the States, um
1: wonderful yeah
2: yeah um I've never never found anybody boring um I find everything you know so interesting and you know it's um I just hope that like you said obviously being a, a beacon of democracy I think the the one thing I I must admit that I did enjoy um I think on my last episode I may have come across as a bit of a Donald Trump fan um the one thing I will say Um, that isn't the case Um, but I would like to say that I have enjoyed watching him get beaten over and over and over again for everything that he's doing in court Um, and to me that proves your democracy is solid because if your democracy was weak then these challenges that he was sending in and things I mean I don't know the ins and outs of it so uh, please nobody message me any hate mail because I don't know the ins and outs of your politics. But um, I do think that uh, the fact that they've sort of stood up and gone right now, this is, this is what's happening and your democracy has prevailed. And I think, you know, you guys, you are a beacon for the rest of the world. Um, you know, ever for the, at least the last hundred years, you guys have been where everybody looks to, um, especially in the Western world. You know, we all look to America, um, as to what you guys are doing um and if you guys are doing a certain thing especially in England or the UK we have a tendency to follow you like a sick puppy um which <laughs> yeah it does annoy me a little bit you know cuz i you know i'm english i think i'd like understand. to
1: understand i understand um
2: you know it'd be nice <laughs> for us to have our own way um <laughs> but you know we do tend to follow you guys quite regularly um and you know it's nice to see that hopefully the one thing that we i've always said um is at least we don't have a crime rate like you have in america for all yeah. the faults that england has um yeah. it's one of the things that i've always said um you know and and bearing in mind i'm i'm from a part of london where gun crime does exist um you know i i have heard gunshots growing up um yeah. i worked yeah. in in a bookmakers uh, that was robbed at gunpoint um oh my so i i 'm well aware of of gun situations
0: yeah. um,
2: but it 's not because it 's so sparse and so far few and far between we just don 't notice it in this country as much and there will come a time like i said i mean i quoted earlier that you can carry there are guns you are allowed in this country there 's four guns and a cannon if you you know if you really wanted to um But there are uh, firearms that you can legally have in this country. So we are not completely anti-gun. The majority of those are hunters and farmers and things like that who actually carry these. Um, But, you know, there will come a point in the future where America do get to that, where you actually have the right control on the guns that you need, not banning them, not getting rid of them, but the right amount of guns in the right amount of people's hands, and guns and I've shot uh, I used to be um in in the cadets um oh, wow. going back a few years ago um I was I worked uh, was in the the air cadets of so the RAF um oh, wow. and I I fired guns I fired fired handguns two rifles 303s um L98 snipers um I've shot all of these rifles um you know I know yeah. no. No. I know the fun no. of them i'm not gonna lie i there was nothing more fun to me than going on an exercise and running through a field laying down in a range and taking out a target with with a 303 um i loved it absolutely loved it and they to me guns as deadly as they are are fun if they're used correctly um and that's what you guys need you know that it needs to get to that point where i as far as i'm concerned after listening to you today we need to get your country needs to get to a point where you guys as in brady are setting the rules for the guns because you guys seem to be absolutely spot on with what you're saying in the sense that you know it, it should keep everybody happy from what from what i've got from you guys is that you know if what you wanted to implement was implemented across America, I would say 90% 90 of Americans would be happy and safe as opposed to probably the 15 or 20% that feel like that now.
1: Daniel, I, I, uh, what you said, uh, I'm not sure I can, uh, translate this, but, uh, triple snaps,
3: because
1: <laughs> uh, quadruple snaps, that's what we are all about. It is uh, really uh, interesting to me, and and it sort of like comes full circle for me in the conversation about being able to hold uh, perhaps differing perspectives together in your consciousness at one time, and, yeah. and yeah. understand what that is. I just had a call earlier today with a friend of mine, Manny Oliver, whose son, Joaquin, uh, died. Um, it will be three years ago today on February 14th. He was a student at MSD, a fellow student who had attended MSD for a period of time, who had lost his parents, was living with another family had access in the home to uh, an assault-style weapon. It was kept in an unlocked cabinet. He took it on Valentine's Day, and he killed 17 individuals, students wow. and educators. And it could have been even worse. Uh, the, the fact that so many people died is is absolutely horrific. I hold that as I do so many conversations that I, sadly, have a lot with mothers, fathers, sisters, brothers, who are not seeking to take away or stop the sale of guns in this country. In fact, almost no one in this movement is. That's just a lie that's been propagated by the National Rifle Association. I. I told that at the same time that I had a conversation earlier today with the woman who helps lead all of our end family fire activities, who's also a professor at the Air Force Academy. She's a veteran. Uh, She's decorated. She was a helicopter pilot and uh, used guns as part of that, is a gun owner. She hunts. And that is Brady. Both of these things can be true because life does not exist and never has in black and white. We can propagate and hold up the value of guns for individuals who like to hunt, who care about those kinds of activities, who want to go out and skeet shoot. And that is something to be celebrated. We can also all agree that a gun in the hand of uh, an individual who is intent on using what is a weapon of war to kill as many people as possible. It's in our societal interest to make sure individuals like that don't have easy access to guns. Both things are true. And that's what Brady really stands for.
2: Yeah. I can echo that. Yeah. I t- totally agree. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think um, I think we've covered most of it, and I, I you know, I loved having you guys on. It's been uh, it's been fantastic. Um, I, I,
1: love I on. It's a great conversation. I wish that all could be this way. I really uh, appreciate the depth and uh, the conversational style. I miss Europe.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're ever in Grimsby, you know where we are. <laughs> you're, do, you're...
1: I'll look you up. We can have a pint.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, when they open the pub, the pubs again, we'd...
1: after yeah. a vaccine. After a vaccine.
2: Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm not. We're we're not. Uh, we're not rolling that out as uh, as strong as as most countries at the moment. I think they're trying to increase the amount they're they're rolling out. But I'm one of these sceptical ones in regards to that. Um, yeah. I don't I don't disagree with it. I just want to know what's going to happen in two years' time to people who have had it. Um, we had a a spate in this country called mad cow disease. I don't know if you ever heard of it.
3: Oh, I certainly have.
2: Yeah. And that was, uh, that was obviously to do with livestock, but it took five years for symptoms to come through from what they originally gave. And there's no evidence to what's going to happen in five years time from this vaccine. That's my only, I'm one of these ones that I don't want to (laughs) commit to something without knowing the long-term effects but um, yeah,
1: I hear what you're saying. I just, I guess, as a as a if... person, I will say my my counterpoint to that is I've had many friends who are public health and you know physicians who've now taken mm. it. And the only thing that we also don't know is um, what are the long term effects. We're only beginning to guess it and understand it from getting it.
2: <laughs> so yeah. I think well, we
1: have to use, And you I may love- have
2: heard me cough a few times. During this, uh, I actually got COVID. Uh, oh
1: my goodness!
2: Um, uh, about three months ago, and it's still—I'm still coughing now. Um, but yeah, it really did. It really did knock me for six. So I went through uh, about a three-week period where I couldn't record any podcasts because I, I had no voice. Um, the coughing oh was just God. too much, and yeah. So I, you know, I—I I know firsthand the effects of it. It's—it's uh, it's not fun.
1: Um, oh, oh, I'm so sorry to hear. That's yeah, all right. That i hope that you my daughter got it and she, she's 19 and so i think for younger people generally it's not totally true but she lost her sense of taste and smell and it was so disorienting and the thing oh, I that, loved it. <laughs> you loved losing your sense of taste and
3: smell
2: yeah i lost nearly a stone nearly 14 <laughs> pounds yeah i lost 13 pounds
3: <laughs> well okay
1: yeah
2: so i i was quite happy with uh with the results, to be honest.
1: Ah, okay, well, she, my, my daughter only lost it for three or four days. And I will admit that she and her uh, folks in her accommodation, uh, the way they were able to determine whether they had their smell and taste back was they had a bottle of tequila, which none of them, when they lost I'll their... do it. <laughs> and then finally, when it came back, they all realized, oh... I have it back. I can smell this and it smells a certain way. But for four or five days she <laughs> she said it smelled like air. It had no yep.
2: and it will have tasted like it as well. I drink um I drink rum. I, I drink I, and I normally have uh maybe two shots of rum um and then I'll top it up with a mixer, normally coke or Red Bull or something like that. Um and I was drinking probably six shots and straight. So there was no, there was just no taste whatsoever. (laughs) The effects still work. I was still getting drunk, but it, but the, uh, yeah, the, the taste was gone. So.
3: Right.
1: Oh my goodness.
2: On that basis, it probably wasn't a good thing.
1: Probably not on the whole, but uh, yes. So no one, we're not trying to propagate the idea of get COVID and lose weight. Although. No,
2: no, definitely not it can happen. Yes, it can, but uh, you know, as as we know, I mean, I was I was one of the luckier ones. I did actually go into hospital as well. I was in hospital. Oh, um oh. yeah. Yeah, I was given uh penicillin and uh oh. an inhaler. So, um <clears throat> but like I said it it's so much worse for for many other people, so you know, I in in reality, I I feel like I was one of the luckier ones, so yeah. Well uh I hope everybody stays safe, I suppose.
1: Me too. And and I just like to say for anyone who has listened and is interested to learn more about Brady, please go to BradyUnited.org. That's our website, Brady United Against Gun Violence. Yeah long term long name but a BradyUnited.org is our website you can follow us at brady buzz that that's how you can find us on uh, facebook on twitter and then if you want to follow me it's chris b underscore brown i i am quite active on twitter i i have a lot to say and uh would love more uh, both American and international folks to contribute to the conversation because this is really about bringing all of us in and uh you know finding the common ground uh around these these uh issues so would welcome uh any comments or feedback and and i've really enjoyed the conversation daniel and I, I hope that you continue to uh uh, I love your podcast, first of all, but also that you continue to uh, heal uh, from COVID. Thank it's, you. <laughs> it's tough and uh, it's hard to hear what you went through, but hopefully it's a journey and you feel like you're on a positive trajectory.
2: Yeah, no, I, I am definitely. And uh, to all you guys who who do listen, um, you guys also have a podcast as well, uh, if I'm right, which is Red, oh, Blue like and Brady.
1: Yes, no, it's red, blue, and Brady, of course, hearkening on Brady. Yeah,
2: so um get yourselves yeah. onto there as well and, and get listening.
1: Please. And and for those who want to be educated or uh entertained or both, and uh it's hard to find that as you know, Daniel, and anything today. Yes. Um I would commend any of the episodes. We've done so many now, over a hundred. But they both are educational, and we really try to uh, inject uh, some levity in a really tough issue where we can. So they're also fun to listen to, and JJ, our host, is just magnetic. So uh, please do listen to Red, Blue, and Brady, and uh, you'll find out a lot about our perspective on this issue and all of the things that average people like me and others can do. To really make a difference.
2: Oh, lovely! Thank you. Thank you. Well, there we go. So, some interesting facts there. Uh, something a little bit different for you guys, um, and I hope you uh, actually enjoyed that. Um, like I said, it's a different episode. Uh, we will be back to the history next week. And um, this is just a, a little side, a little side bit that um, I, I promised we'd get this on the show. Um, and I think it went quite well I I really enjoyed the interview like I said so um, I hope you guys did too again if you have any comments let me know, don't be nasty because I ain't got time for it Um, but yeah I hope everybody enjoyed it and like I said enjoy the rest of your week hopefully America you guys aren't in lockdown at the moment um, so enjoy your last few days of freedom until you go into lockdown like the rest of us over here um but thanks for listening guys and like i say every week get yourselves onto patreon get yourselves onto facebook this week in history and join us so thank you very much remember guys we all have history
4: finding the right person for the job isn't easy just ask someone who hired a drama coach to be an it guy
2: yeah i'm having trouble logging in
4: i'm not buying it say it again this time with feeling i can't log in come on man i want to feel your struggle But if you've got an insurance question, you can always count on your local GEICO agent. They can bundle your policies, which could save you hundreds. Now, like your life depends on it. I can't log in. Yes, we'll make an actor out of you yet. For expert help with all your insurance needs, visit geico.com slash local today. When you love riding a motorcycle, you want to ride it everywhere, even getting a dental checkup.
0: Mr. Carter, wouldn't you prefer the
1: chair? I'm fine on my bike, doc. Well, let me know if you feel any discomfort.
4: And when you love saving money, you want to save even more. That's why GEICO makes it easy to bundle your motorcycle and car insurance.
1: All done, Mr. Carter. Remember to brush, floss, and lubricate your drive chain regularly.
4: Kickstart your savings with GEICO Motorcycle. Bundle and save on the things you love.
2: Feels great. Bye-bye.
4: Bundling car and renter's insurance with GEICO is so easy, your neighbors are probably already doing it. But who? Look for the signs. Chances are they live in a home and have a car. They use money and enjoy having more of it. They probably drink lots of lemonade. Mmm, lemonade. And they've probably said something suspicious like, I'm bundling with GEICO or stop spying on me with those binoculars. If so, you may want to ask them how easy it was to bundle with GEICO. Bundling is easy with GEICO. Just ask your neighbors. When you love riding a motorcycle, you want to ride it everywhere, even getting a dental checkup. Mr. Carter, wouldn't you prefer the chair? I'm fine on my bike, doc. Well, let
1: me know if you feel any discomfort.
4: And when you love saving money, you want to save even more. That's why GEICO makes it easy to bundle your motorcycle and car insurance.
1: All done, Mr. Carter. Remember to brush, floss, and lubricate your drive chain
3: regularly.
4: Kickstart your savings with GEICO Motorcycle. Bundle and save on the things you love.